Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's round two review show of the 2023 LB County Championship. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome on for the first time this season the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Matt Wiley. So, Matt, first things first, mate, thank you very much for taking the time to come back onto the podcast. Obviously, 2022 was an absolute pleasure to discuss each and every single round with yourself, mates. I've got to ask, how's your day been so far? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. Yeah, happy to be back. Um, busy day back at uni now, travelled back down today. Um, but that meant that I didn't, unfortunately, catch or wasn't able to watch a fair bit of day four live. But uh, fear not, I'm up to date and uh, ready to get chatting. Excellent. That is what we love to hear, mate. And, and let's face it, it wasn't exactly the most thrilling round of, of championship matches this week, was it? Maybe a little, tad little bit boring, you know, not much going on, I suppose. Obviously, for those who already know, I am being incredibly sarcastic. The LP County Championship, yet again, providing the goods. And the second round was absolutely electrifying from start to finish. Yes, we've had a lot of rain. And yes, we'll probably discuss that in due course as the podcast goes on. But in terms of the results that we've seen, in terms of some of the performances, some of the incredible moments that we have bore witness to over the course of these four days, that the county championship never, ever fails to deliver. And honestly, I cannot wait to get into tonight's show because we have got so much to discuss. And Matt, let's be honest, there is only one place that we can start in today's review show. And that is, of course, in the second city. Let's talk about my county of Warwickshire because the Bear and Ragged staff pulled off a quite remarkable innings and 14-run victory over the course of three days against Kent's at Edgebaston Cricket Ground. Now, to set the tone and set the scene for those who didn't actually watch this incredible game in Birmingham this week, Kent won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this game on a wicket which, to be honest, did seem a little bit flat. And unsurprisingly, Warwickshire cashed in after being 69 for two after 17.5 overs it really was the Sam Hain and Rob Yates show as the incredibly classy, magnificent and oftentimes powerful pairing puts on a masterclass, an exhibition in first-class cricket, if you would, with a sensational 166-run stand for the third wicket. Yates producing a masterful 128 and Sam Hain, the man, the myth, the legend himself, hashtag Sam Hain for England, producing a superb 165 outs from 269 balls. Now, as if this wasn't enough for the Bears, who were already massively buoyed by confidence, Dan Mosley, Mighty Mouse, as he's known here in the West Midlands, also chipped in with an electrifying 94 from 93 balls, 7 fours, 4 sixes, a 101.07 strike rate, to ultimately take the Bears up to a commanding total of 453 for 4 declared by the end of their first innings. Now, Matt, before I get into the Kent batting display and we discuss the rest of this incredible game, just one rather pertinent question, aside from Sam Hain, because we give him more than enough plaudits and more than enough credit on this podcast. I think it's blatantly obvious when it comes to my thoughts about him being an international quality cricketer. But two players who really impressed in the second city this week, Rob Yates and Dan Mosley. Just a few words on them, if you can, mate, because for Warwickshire fans... There's a lot of promise and a lot of talent with those two players, aren't there? There really is, mate. Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, Rob Yates had a bit of a bit of a fallow year last year, didn't he? So it's good to see him come back and you know 
hit the ground running really, so to speak. Um, Dan Mosley as well. Yeah, he obviously, I thought he was going to be a bit of a, a white ball. I wasn't going to say a white ball only, not quite as far as Will Smead, but he certainly seemed to be more of a, you know, sea ball, hit ball type player, didn't he? So I did wonder if he'd get a run in the red ball team. But obviously, as we've seen over the winter, the two have almost, the two formats have almost come back a bit closer together, haven't they? What with Baz Ball and having a bit of a more of a forward thinking approach. So that's probably really good news for him. And, you know, he's cashed in um, because you can score quickly. It's not always about digging in and um, waiting and waiting and waiting, is it? You know, you can profit and have have quite a bit of fun and it's quite free-flowing. So, yeah, um, obviously, you know, quite contrasting approaches. Robbie Yates a bit what's all at the top, but that's what you need in your own. I know you need to see off the ball and the, the fact that, you know, when they, that, that basically allows the middle order, um, Sam Hain, obviously, the superstar of the innings, but, you know, that's it, it allows Hain and Mosley to do what they did. So, yeah, each taking their role, each doing it really well. And like you said, both young players who've got a lot to give and the future looks bright, I'm sure. It certainly does, and honestly, to a man, each and every single one of those Warwickshire batters this week, fantastic. They really were. Sam Hayne, Dan Mosley, Rob Yates, even Michael Burgess coming in when the Bears needed that fifth and final batting bonus point, just came in, smashed a massive six into the West Stand. He was absolutely superb this week, and an excellent display from the Bear and Ragged staff. We mentioned Sam Hayne each and every single week. Honestly, he's a special cricketer. Some of the cover drives that he's producing this week, the little glances off the pad, the flicks over mid-wicket, the straight drives that he's playing. He's got every single shot in the book. And I tell you what, for us as Warwickshire fans, we really are tremendously fortunate to have a player of that class and calibre at the club. And you mentioned Rob Yates as well, Matt. At times, very watchful. There was a session actually after lunch on the first day where Kent bowled very, very well. And he just had to see off this excellent spell of bowling from the likes of Michael Hogan and Matt Quinn. But I tell you what, anything that Kent bowled shorts, it was dispatched. Went for four, even went for sixes at times. Like He really looked like a man on a mission this week. And for the Bears, after losing the entirety of day two due to heavy rainfall in Birmingham, they did a magnificent job. So shout out to each and every single one of those Warwickshire batters this week. Thought they were absolutely phenomenal. Now, in response to this incredible display from the home side, Kent got off to an absolute shocker to their first innings. In fact, they found themselves 112 for 8 within the first 36 overs of their first innings. With the likes of Chris Wokes, he took 2 for 28. Chris Wushworth, he took 2 for 38. And then you had Hassan Ali, the newcomer, taking 3 for 36. They were all over Kent in the early exchanges. And all of a sudden, you're thinking that even though there's only a day and a half left of this game, a result was on. And I tell you what, these Warwickshire bowlers really were irresistible from ball one. Now, to give them a lot of credit, the likes of Matt Quinn, Conor McCurr, someone who we'll probably mention in due course in a lot more detail, they did put up some form of riposte, I suppose, in that first innings. Quinn scoring 22 not outs, McCurr scoring 14. But ultimately, even these efforts were only enough to see Kent up to a paltry total of 158 all out by the end of the first innings. Now, as a result of this incredibly poor display from the White Horse, the visitors, unsurprisingly, were forced to follow on. And in the dying stages of day three, with the poor light and the floodlights just flickering on in the distance, Christopher Rushworth took a massive wicket, trapping Zach Crawley, LBW for 12, and leaving Kent in all sorts of problems at the end of day three. 
Now, Matt, before I go any further, because there is something that we need to discuss, and I think you know what we are going to discuss, and that is Kent's batting. It simply wasn't good enough on that day. As much as Warwickshire were absolutely outstanding, some of the dismissals, some of the shot selections, really, really poor. What did you make of that batting display from the White Horse in the second city this week? Yeah, you've summed it up there really well, mate. They're just really... You don't want to say brainless because that feels a bit harsh, but it it was... It almost looked weird. Like, do you remember when we used to criticise England for that sort of when they just give the wickets away? Like, they they look like they didn't want to be there. That's what it almost. When you look at how they, like you said, how they were giving the wickets away, that's what it felt like. And you just when you've got the relentless because the Warwickshire attack is so well rounded and it's so and you know it's been bolstered even more this winter. You've got Rushworth coming in. You've got Barnard coming in. Um, you've always had Chris Works when he plays, you know, he played this game. Uh, Hassan Ali's another addition. You know, it's it, it's gone up one, two, three levels. It really has. And when you've got that constant, relentless pressure, you can't be playing shots like that. And yeah, like you said, just really poor application, I think, is what they've got to work on, isn't it? They certainly do, because a couple of the shots really, really poor. But then again, at the same time, I was there at Edgebaston on day three, and I was counting, actually. The number of really, really bad balls that Warwickshire bowled, I could only count 14. So I must say, this bowling attack, it was highly favoured. It was highly, highly recognised as being one of the strongest in the country heading into this year's county championship. And boy, did they deliver in the second city this week. I thought they were absolutely phenomenal to a man. You mentioned Ed Barnard as well. Someone who this week may not get as many plaudits, but in terms of disciplined line and length bowling, really testing the outside edge with those outswingers. He is such a good change bowler as an option at number five. He, he really is. So Barnard, Rushy, Hassan Ali, well done yet again. I said it in the first review show. I said yet again, brilliant signings, fitting in like a glove for the Bairn Ragged staff at the moment. And it's great to see. I love the passion, the enthusiasm, the energy of that trio. It really is just infectious to watch as a fan of Warwickshire County Cricket Club. And as a result of of yet more fantastic bowling, this time on day four, Kent were in all sorts of problems. They were floundering on 99 for seven in just the the 38th over of their second innings. So at this point, you're probably thinking, Warwickshire, they're going to dominate. The Bears are going to win this probably by three o'clock. We might not even reach T at this rate, and the Bears will go home. We'll have a nice celebration. First win of the season on the board. Jobs are good. But unfortunately for the Bears fans in attendance at Edgebaston this week, Ben Compton and Joey Everson had a completely different agenda on their minds. First and foremost, Ben Compton digging in with a gritty 88 from 185 balls, striking at 47.56. And then Joey Everson manufacturing a quite remarkable 99 from 161 as the pair put on a 100-run partnership and saw Kent through to T on 199 for seven. This was where the game started to change once more, though. In the first over after T, the fifth ball, to be specific, Chris Rushworth struck yet again. A fantastic piece of bowling to dismiss the resolute Ben Compton, edged behind to the safe hands of Rob Yates, who's got magnets for hands after this game, I must say. But all of a sudden, Kent are floundering yet again. 199 for eight, massive deficits. And they look to be in trouble. Warwickshire have got into the tail. 
But I tell you what, Conor McCurr and the aforementioned Everson were superb yet again, surviving for almost 30 overs between themselves to send Warwickshire into a bit of panic. The daylight was fading, the floodlights were on, the umpires were conferring in the middle. You're thinking, can the Bears pull this off? Surely not. There's not enough game time left. Surely they can't pull off the most remarkable of victories. But I tell you what, this team have got something about them. When it seemed as though the game had gone, when it seemed as though Kent had salvaged the most unlikely of draws, an incredible catch from the aforementioned Will Rhodes, the captain of Warwickshire County Cricket Club in Gully to dismiss Conor McCurr for a gutsy 23 from 102, all of a sudden brought Warwickshire straight back into the game in the 93rd over. And just, what, seven balls later it was? Seven deliveries later, Hassan Ali to Joey Everson, just outside off, good length, great line, fourth stump channel bowling to perfection from the Pakistani seam sensation, got the thick outside edge of Joey Everson, pouched behind by Michael Burgess, and the bare and ragged staff of Warwickshire secured the victory in the dying moments of day four in an absolute classic at Edgebaston. So, Matt, what did you make of the finish? Because, to be honest, I could wax lyrical about this performance all week long. 24 massive points for the Bears. This is a side which, last year, lost against Somerset in Taunton and lost against Kent on home soil. So, it's been quite some turnaround in the year that has, that has followed, I suppose. And in terms of the performance, so complete, so ruthless, so clinical. What did you make of the Bears' performance in Birmingham this week? You've said it again there, mate. Yeah, just a lot. Like I said, they've, they've taken not just one sort of step up, have they? They've really, they're starting to gel. They've really raised everything. Seems to be a lot better, obviously. The return to form of Yates is a lot better. Um, obviously, having Sam Hearn in there always helps. You know, he's just eternally full of class, isn't he? But it just, it does seem like everything's clicked and where things didn't seem to be going right last year. And you mentioned, obviously, the Somerset defeat last year. I remember you really sort of laying into their attitude and how they let the heads drop when things weren't going their way. And there was none of that, obviously, this time. That was the perfect contrast in that when the chips were down, when Joey Everton was battling away and when Ben Compton, you know, when they were being denied, they were resolute, they stuck together and they came up with a win. And I do wonder, maybe that wouldn't have happened last year. I think having the winter to look over those things. And obviously, teams now are really starting to take advantage of this whole, you know, the, the mental side of the game. You know, I can't speak for any other team. I'm sure there will be plenty of other teams, but I know for a fact that Nottingham employ a full-time performance psychologist. You know, it's, it's such a massive part of the game, your attitude and your mental capacity when things aren't going your way to fight back. So I think that's probably the defining difference. That that's where things have really taken a massive step forward and I'm sure mate for yourself long may it continue fingers crossed again very very early on in the season I'm not going to get carried away say anything like they're going to win the county championship or win the treble or anything along those lines but this as a performance is massive for the Bears because in previous years we probably would have drawn that game and they've ended up taking away 24 points that is massive at this stage in the season and in, in terms of the body language and attitude much better. Look what happens when you perform as a team, as a band of brothers. Good things happen to Warwickshire County Cricket Club. So, yeah, to, to a man. Well, actually, uh, what I'd love to say is about uh, Hassan Ali as well. 
when you get an overseas player, because obviously you saw his celebrations when he gets the wicket and his celebrations right at the end, it's so, so good when you get an overseas player because, you know, I'm not saying that all overseas players are just over here for the paycheck. There's plenty that will come over um, because they really want to nail down a spot. Um, but, you know, Hassan Ali, I think Dan Patterson as well at Knotts, when you really, really get the team spirit and it's, you know, you form that bond with your supporters, you form that bond with your team, it's it's so good to see. It's a real proper positive. Um, and we know Hassan Ali's got the experience of English conditions from last year, so we know he can do it performance-wise. And clearly, he's got the uh, the character to match it as well. He certainly does. And to be honest, all three of those new signings, I mentioned Rushi and Barnard before, they have been revolutionary. So, again, to a man, each and every single one of those Bear players deserves an immense amount of credit this week. I thought they were absolutely exceptional. And I suppose on the flip side as well, a disappointing result for Kent. Because realistically, this was a three-day game. Day two was completely washed out. We even had a delay today by 15 minutes. And to come so close and yet so far in a game of this manner is tremendously frustrating. But at the same time, it does it does come back to that old saying, doesn't it? It takes two to tango. And a good game of cricket requires good cricket from both sides. And I thought Ben Compton and Joey Everson were just superb. And Conor McCurr as well. He's a loney. He's only in for a couple of games for Kent. But he showed so much fight for that badge this week, whether that was with the ball in hand or indeed with the bats. It is something which, although this is a disappointing week for the White Horse, they can take some positives away from. They've got to be a lot more complete, though, in both departments. With the ball in hand, I thought they were very, very loose in the evening session of day one. And then, of course, the batting just collapsed like a, like a house of cards on day three. So two major areas of improvement to take into the Essex game in Canterbury this week. But I do just have to give a tremendous amount of credit to Ben Compton, 88, deserved a tonne. And then, of course, the, the other man who I'd definitely argue deserved a century this week was, of course, Joey Everson, the unfortunate man at the end, dismissed by Hassan Ali, which did spark the celebrations from the Warwickshire players. But that 99 was just magnificent. He played some lovely drives. He put the Bears on the back foot. He frustrated them all day long. And, yeah, tremendously unfortunate not to have racked up three figures, to be honest. It would have been his first century for Kent in the county championship. So that is very unfortunate indeed. But, again, well played to Joey Everson. Well played to Ben Compton and very well played to Conor McCurr as well. I thought that those three, in what was a very difficult week for Kent, can definitely come out of this week with their head held high. But Matt, aside then from that pulsating thriller between Warwickshire and Kent Edgebaston, let's move to the Clash of the Titans this week, which saw Surrey hammer Hampshire by nine wickets at the Kia Oval. Now again, just to give some context to this game, Hampshire won the toss and elected to have a bat first. Now, this decision didn't really appear to have paid off in the early exchanges. In fact, the defending champions had the Rosen crown struggling on a score of 88 for 5 within the first 26 overs of the innings. But in games like this, big game players come to the forefront, don't they? And on this particular occasion, a man who has been doing it for years in county cricket really did show us the best of the best of his talent. And that is, of course, Ben Brown. When his team needed him, he dug deep early on. He showed grit. He showed resolve. He showed tenacity in bunches this week and produced an excellent 95 from 167 to ultimately galvanise this Hampshire team to a competitive total of 254 all outs by the end of their first innings. I also do just have to mention, before going on to Surrey's batting, 
someone who really impressed me with the ball in hand. And Matt, we've got to talk about this guy, okay, because he was magnificent this week. But the young prospect bowling all-rounder by the name of Tom Laws, four for 58 from 16 overs. Yes, the economy rate wasn't great, 3.62 runs per over. But some of the deliveries, in particular, the one that he bowled to Liam Dawson, I thought were absolutely brilliant to watch. So in terms of that, that first and foremost, the Hampshire rear guard from Ben Brown and the likes of, of Keith Barker and James Fuller, what did you make of that? But then again, at the same time, the follow-up question, what did you make of Tom Laws? He, he's some prospect, isn't he? Yeah, I can take that uh, one one by one then, if you like. Yeah, um, Hampshire batting, yeah, honestly. You've got a firm, firm Keith Barker enjoyer right here, mate. Honestly, I know uh, you're a fan of his from the time he spent at Warwickshire. But yeah, he's just, honestly, he's, he's like, once he gets, he, he's so difficult to get rid of, isn't he? He digs in and shepherds the tail like you wouldn't believe. And yeah, him and Ben Brown, I mean, ultimately, I think it was, obviously, we'll get on to the result. But every single point will count, especially buying points this season, and especially because they've raised the total so there will be more batting points that are missed out on so to even get one was impressive from the position that they were in so yeah really really superb rear guard uh, like you said James Fuller as well quite a breezy cameo really from from him towards the end uh, which is what you need just get get the runs as many as you can by that point and just have, have a go and see and see where you end up and obviously they ended up getting a point that you'd have to say based on the bowling they didn't really have any right to get. So that was really quite impressive from that. Onto the bowling then. Um, yeah, like you said, Surrey seemed to have an endless factory conveyor belt of young pace bowlers coming through, don't they? I don't know where they're producing. There's probably a factory underneath the Oval or something where they're just churning out left, right and centre. There'll be, there'll be another one next week. Um, but yeah, I actually thought when you said there's a superb pace bowler. I actually thought you were about to mention Kamar Roach, and then you said a young Englishman. I said, oh, no, that definitely doesn't fit him. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but he was just, like I was saying about the watch attack, everybody seems to know their role. And I know it's easy when you're playing at home because you can use the conditions and you know the conditions and you use them to your advantage. But everybody knows the role in that Surrey attack. And, you know, Kamar Roach is the leader, Tom Laws slots in a second chain. And just these, they've all got that in the head and they're very clear. And, you know, um, Dan Worrell tying an end down while Tom Laws... Because that's almost what you need. I mean, if you've got a bowler who can tie an end down, go at less than two runs and over, frustrate from one end, then you can attack. And it almost doesn't really matter that he went at more than three and a half. And I mean, Kamal Roach went at, had a worse economy rate. And no one's saying anything bad about that. It's, if you've got... It's about the average, obviously, overall, isn't it? And when you've got Worrell at one end, less than two you're allowed a bit of freedom to pitch it up, to try and chase it a little bit. If you get hit away, you get hit away. But ultimately, you come out with four wickets, that's the main thing that matters. Because if we were playing a T20, economy rate, yeah, you'd say, OK, fair enough, try and rein it in a bit. But we're not. Wickets are what matter in red ball. And you've got four of them, and you've got to give them credit for that. You certainly do. And to be honest, Matt, I've got no problem giving a lot of credit to Tom Laws. I think he is a fantastic prospect. Great attitude, great passion. And I mentioned the enthusiasm of Warwickshire's new signings. Ever since he debuted last year, he's just brought so much energy, so much optimism, so much enthusiasm to that Surrey pace attack. Honestly, the ceiling is very, very high for the man by the name of Tom Laws. And talking of another extraordinary Surrey talent, 
this time with a bat in hand. Matt, I think you know exactly who we're going to focus on when I talk about the batting aspect of the Brown Caps. But in the first innings of, of Surrey's game, Ollie Pope. Ollie Pope yet again. 91 from 157. 10 boundaries, 57.96 strike rates. And obviously the boundaries is one thing. And the way in which he scores runs, he's very aesthetically pleasing. Great to watch as a spectator and lover of the game of cricket. But in particular in this innings, the maturity, the grit, the fortitude, which he displayed against a Hampshire attack, which bowled very, very well. I must say, obviously the standout is Mohamed Abbas, taking six for 64 from 27.5 overs. He was magnificent. That's what you expect, to be honest. Dark, gloomy, overcast conditions, balls moving about all over the place. Mohamed Abbas feasted in South London this week. But against those ridiculously talented team bowlers, against one of the best attacks in the entire country, Ollie Pope stood up, didn't he? He really did. He passed the test with flying colours yet again. What did you make, first and foremost, Matt, of that effort from the Surrey number three at the Oval this week? Just like like you said, he's so easy to watch, isn't he? He really is he's such a... He is, I mean, you'd have to say, oh, don't get me wrong, he's got a long way to go before he reaches this guy's level, but you would have to put him almost at a bit of a baby Ian Bell, wouldn't you? The, the way that he plays his shots and how, I mean, you know, um, just how he, how he carries himself and how he adapts to what he's... Because, like, for example, I remember when, when I first got into cricket and Ian Bell was playing against India um, in that sort of 20, that series about 12, 13 years ago when we went to number one in the world. And he was facing down an utterly elite bowling attack and he absolutely profited. It's not dissimilar, really, because, like, you know, when you've got Mohamed Abbas, like you said, seeming all over the shop, uh, Kyle Abbott from the other end, even James Fuller back in the book, who got a couple of his own, like, that ability to just stand up and carry on playing your natural game, that's the real mark of a very, very talented red ball batsman to force good bowlers like that into allowing you to play your game in such a way that you don't look like you're scratching around. That is real. That's a really impressive talent. Um, yeah, and there's no there's no serious doubt over his place in the England team, is he? He will be certainly for Ireland. He'll be in there, and probably for the for the Ashes, it would take some it take somebody very very good to put him under any doubt for the Ashes. But it's like you said, it's the rate at which he's scoring as well. You know, he's, he's knocking him around at uh, strike rate of up towards sixty. He's trying. He's he's not got a point to prove like maybe someone like James Vince or Zach Crawley might have, but he's still saying, you know, keep an eye on me because I can do this. I'll. No one really said when I first came into the Test team that I'll be this sort of player, but I can do this. He most certainly can. He's just so good to watch, isn't he? And we'll probably mention his name again when we talk about Surrey's second innings because <laughs> he put a masterclass in South London this week. And I tell you, what, I've got some fantastic stats lined up to discuss when it comes to his holiness, Ollie Pope. But before we get into our discussion, actually, about Ollie Pope and his incredible average against Hampshire County Cricket Club, as a result of that 91, Surrey did have a lead in this game. It was only 16 runs, but in those conditions, that was actually very, very vital to have against that Hampshire seam attack. So they finished on 270 all out by the end of 86 first innings overs. Now, in response to this, Hampshire got off to an absolute shocker, 58 for four within 19 overs. And at this point, you are thinking the Rose and Crown are in an awful lot of bother. But yet again, one of their more experienced campaigners, 
This time, Nick Gubbins came to the forefront, manufacturing an excellent 84 from 199 balls, scoring 10 boundaries, striking at 42.21. He really did salvage a very difficult situation for the visitors in South London, and I've got to give him an awful lot of credit. As a result of his 84, as a result of Ian Holland's excellent 46 and out from 137 deliveries, Hampshire did, in theory, give themselves a target to defend. It wasn't an incredible target, 243 runs, but it was a target nonetheless. When you think you've got the likes of Abbas, you've got Abbott, you've got Barker, Fuller, that attack, in theory, could have won this game for Hampshire on day four. But as it turned out, Surrey, as was the case on many an occasion in 2022, were just far too good with the bats. They made it look easy. And this is a real, real statement, isn't it, Matt? First and foremost, for the defending champions to chase down 243 runs in 55.2 overs. Rory Burns scoring 35. Dom Sibley, the new signing, returning to the club, scoring 79 out from 144. And then Ollie Pope, producing one of the best hundreds we'll probably see all season. 122 out from 102 balls, 14 fours, three sixes, one of which was just outrageous, like a little lap scoop over to a fine leg. It was outrageously good to watch that shot. But in terms of this run chase, it was just an exhibition from the home side, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, like you said, it was something to bowl at. It was certainly something that if you're watching that game, 243, you're thinking, yeah, that this, this could go either way. It's definitely something to bowl at. But at the same time, it's within reach. It's, you know, we're not talking 500 something nominal it was doable and well you know I suppose anything's doable if you look at Leicestershire and what they did at Headingley last week it was you know it, it was a chaseable total so to see them do it with such kind of dominance as well and obviously there's it's kind of twofold the boost it'll give to their confidence because they will be in the title race you know you just have to accept that they will um the only thing that could slightly derail them is if they start losing players literally left, right and centre to England, but the stocks are so deep that even that might not affect them. Um, but they, they will be in that, so it will give them a massive boost. But also, Hampshire are, of course, likely to be in it as well, and it will drop them, won't it? It will kind of damage their confidence. So while it will give Surrey that boost that they've won early on against a potential rival, Hampshire are already chasing the game, or chasing, chasing the, you know, the, even at this stage of the season, You'd have to think they're already behind the eight ball. They're already at a bit of a disadvantage. And yes, this was at the Oval and they've got to play each other again down in Southampton and the whole situation could change between now and September. You know, there's a lot of cricket to be played. But it's a it's a massive, massive, real confidence-boosting win, definitely. It certainly is. And again, I just think this is a, a statement victory in more ways than one. Because not only to beat Hampshire yet again, sorry, I've got an excellent record against Hampshire in first-class cricket recently, but to beat them by nine wickets, such a dominant and commanding performance. And I mentioned Ollie Pope, just for, for the benefit of the statisticians amongst there in the TCCP listener base, his stats against Hampshire are scary. So in first-class cricket, he averages 125.9. And of his 17 career first-class centuries, six of them have come against the Rose and Crown of Hampshire. So... He really is the bogeyman, isn't he, when it comes to Hampshire and, yeah, yet again, Ollie Pope has ultimately catalysed the downfall of, of Hampshire in South London this week. But you've got to give him a tremendous amount of credit. Great player to watch, incredible performance. 
And yeah, I, I wouldn't say that the title race is, is over by any stretch of the imagination. Let's face it, Hampshire were in it all the way up until September last season, even though they did lose to Surrey at the Oval. So still very early days. But I've got to say with Hampshire, again, the batting. It was the batting again. That top order has got to fire. You know, being 39 for four at the Oval, it's not going to help. You've got to put on a really commanding display. This Surrey team are so good. They're so ruthless. They're so cutthroat. They will, well, dispatch it quite literally as they did this week. So obviously massively disappointing for Hampshire. Do I think they're still contenders though? Absolutely. It is just a case of that million dollar question. Can the batting be as good as the bowling? Because if it can, September's going to be very interesting. It really is. I think they can give Surrey a run for their money. But again, if the, if the batting fails to come to the forefront, if they're having these top order collapses, if the bowlers don't have enough to bowl at, yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult against a team like Surrey, against teams like Lancashire and against teams like Warwickshire, who look very, very strong in the early stages of the season. But Matt, aside then from that clash of the titans between Surrey and Hampshire at the Kia Oval, Let's go to one of your home grounds. Let's go to Trent Bridge, where Nottinghamshire registered their first victory of the 2023 season with a commanding 165-run victory over Somerset. So, Matt, seeing as you are the resident Nottinghamshire experts and you know the team inside out, you probably know them even better than I do. What did you make of this game? What are your thoughts on Nottinghamshire's performance? And then we'll talk a little bit about Somerset. But first and foremost, what did you make of Nottinghamshire? And this incredible bowling display by Brett Hutton, Dane Patterson, Stuart Broad and the rest of the Nottinghamshire Seam Attack. Yeah, it was really, really good to watch, actually. You've got to be honest, yeah. Um, it's kind of nice to... Obviously, I'm no longer covering them on a regular basis, but it's nice to watch and see them doing well um, back in, um, you know, Division 1, back at Trent Bridge. Um, certainly after last season. Yeah, it's obviously the fact that Brett Hutton wouldn't have even played this game if it wasn't for Luke Fletcher's injury is probably, I mean, you could criticise it a little bit and say that you've got to give everybody the opportunity, but at the same time, you just say, well, no, it's because that attack is so deep when you've got a guy that is on the fringes of it and was potentially, you know, he, he went out on loan for a game last season Um just, he went. He went out to Surrey on loan for a game last season because he wasn't getting in the Nottinghamshire team. Is you know, it, it shows how deep it really is. And I've got to be honest, the, the movement he was getting, and certainly in that sixth spot in Somerset's first innings, the movement he was getting, he had the he had that ball on a string. You know, there was some serious serious swing there. Um, Somerset's batting again. You know, I'm sure we'll come on to that. There were plenty of things that left left quite a bit to be desired um you know there was a couple of ugly heaves and things like that but yeah just the dan patterson has Trentbridge down to a t doesn't he? he's in his third season now he's absolutely the resident overseas now he, he will continue to keep coming back for as long as they want him and yeah it was just a, everybody meshed together didn't they and to be honest when you've got stuart broad bowling like he did in the first innings and he wasn't even able to get a wicket. It's, you know, it, it really shows the strength in depth, definitely. And ultimately, it was that sort of, was that first innings that established uh, something. Sorry, it was the first innings bowling in Somerset's first innings that established the platform to then go on and um, just knock them over again and 
that that almost was more of a nominal target, wasn't it? When what Somerset were chasing, and so yeah, it just gave them the opportunity to knock them over again and take take what is really because Somerset are a talented team. It was a really impressive win. It certainly was, Matt. And, and let's take a deeper dive then into this victory because we mentioned there about the bowling and obviously Brett Hutton is the man of the moment, isn't he? Six for 45 in that first innings, irresistible. I think that's how you describe him. Almost took a hat-trick as well, didn't he? Unfortunately, the last ball did go for four runs, but again, he was incredibly impressive. Just think if Luke Fletcher wasn't injured this week, wouldn't have been in the 11. So it's funny how life works out, isn't it? Sometimes Brett Hutton definitely making a case, though, for selection for knots on a regular basis in 2023. But even aside from the incredible, incredible bowling, and you do have to give those bowlers tremendous credit, you've also got to mention the batters in that first innings. And although the rest of the innings did come to a little bit of a an anticlimactic conclusion as a result of a phenomenal 7 for 84 courtesy of Lewis Gregory, from a Nottinghamshire perspective, that opening stand between Hasib Hamid and Ben Duckett's in what seemed like pretty difficult batting conditions by Trent Bridges standards this week, really did lay the foundation for this victory, didn't it, Matt? It did, yeah. And obviously, you've got the two very contrasting styles, which is, you know, that can really go down well in a bowling attack. Um, you complement each other. Uh, but it's gone down, you know, they've, they've put together a very, very good, um, it's chalk and cheese, isn't it? But it's it's working. Um, opposite the track, I suppose, for Steve Mead with the, you know, the watchful um, stick around and see it out. And I think it took him until about, might have genuinely took him until about the 11th or 12th over to score any runs, um, by which time Ben Duckett was already flying towards 30, I think. It's, you know, uh, obviously Ben Duckett will be, he's, he's another one uh, who will be in the England team barring any miraculous collapsing form for him or unbelievable form for someone else um, and he's just got it down to a T hasn't he the, the bad ball the swashbuckling approach just just fly out the traps and just go for it um, he'll probably be almost a bit disappointed that he didn't get a ton because when you set yourself up and got a platform and you get to fifth day um, that you, he was playing so well and with such confidence that he couldn't quite go on but you know it's that's that's what the opening partnership is there to do isn't it it's there to lay the foundation and you can do that either by seeing off the shine and giving the middle order a platform, or you can do that by going for it from ball one and building such a total that the bowlers are a bit demoralised and give the middle order a platform. Or, as it turns out here, you can get one of each and do both. Well, just picking up on that point, Matt, because you mentioned the importance of the openers, and obviously for Nottinghamshire this week, tremendously important. It was pivotal, wasn't it? Let's face it, in... In both innings, actually, you'd say. I know that in the second innings, 30-run partnership was nowhere near as substantial. But in comparison to, to Somerset's, whose opening pairings were two and I think it was 15 in the second innings, it's chalk and cheese, isn't it? It's a massive, massive golf indifference. And this was the second point which I wanted to touch upon, actually, when it came to, to this week's review show. What have you made of Somerset's start to the season with the bat in hand? Because on paper... I've got to be honest, I expected a lot more. And don't get me wrong, there'll be rustiness. It's still early season. We're only two matches into the campaign at the end of the day. But again, they keep on having these collapses. And the fact that, you know, when you're relying on the, on your tail enders, basically. Josh Davey, I think that's a little bit harsh, actually, 
means called Josh David Taylor because he can bat and he's shown it in the past, right, with those sixes at finals day and he scored a fantastic 60 this week. But when you're relying on batters 8 to 11 to score the vast majority of your runs, you're not going to win many games of cricket. So what did you make of Somerset batting, not just this week, but also in the first week? What would you kind of make of this this Wyvern's batting lineup so far? Yeah, last week's an interesting one, obviously, because I've already talked about the strength of the works of bowling attack. And you could almost, like you said, roughness. You can put it down to a one-off. That last week being a bit... Nobody really wants to start a season against Chris Rushworth, do they? We've seen him do it time and time again. So maybe you could have said, OK, that's a one-off. We'll move forward. But yeah, this was this is when it starts to get worrying again, obviously, because Trent Bridge is a pitch that flattens out over time in theory. The second innings is supposed to be that little bit easier um, than than it would have been to bat first. Like you said, it was difficult conditions early on for Hamid and Jockett. So when it's happened again, and then it happens again in the second inning, it's it's got to be a mental thing, hasn't it? Because they've gone out and they've recruited, you know, they've established it as a problem. Everybody can see it's a problem, and they've gone out and they've recruited. You know, they've got Sean Dixon coming. Um, you signed Cameron Bancroft for the in overseas um and then you know tom cola cadmore from yorkshire those efforts have been made to address it but it's just yeah it's got to be a mental thing now because if if it carries on if, if this you know if this happens again next week then it, it's almost that it needs to be panic stations because this would be what are we now about 18 months since this sort of thing started happening it was at the back end of last season. It was almost actually, to be fair, the Nottinghamshire game at Taunton where it's in 2021 when it first started to raise its head. And then it's just carried on ever since, hasn't it? So whether it... I mean, you know, they've replaced the batting coach as well, haven't they? So it's, it's got to be... Yeah, I, I will be completely honest. You'll have to ask a, a wiser man than me as to what's really causing it because the only thing I can suggest is that it's got to be something really quite deep down um, because if recruitment isn't fixing it and coaching isn't fixing it, then what can it possibly be? Well, again, to be honest, Matt, I don't have the answer for that. I'm just as confused, to be honest, because when I was at Edgebaston, I was watching the stream actually of this game because I wanted to watch the likes of Dane Patterson and Brett Hutton, and they were bowling magnificently. And first and foremost, that is a point we do have to make, and Sam Dalling made it brilliantly in the cricketer. Nottinghamshire this week were irresistible. You can't deny that. They were they were just not bowling any bad balls whatsoever. Brett Hutton producing so much movement, in particular in the air. It was incredible to watch the swing that he was generating. But again, if we are looking at the wider picture, ever since 2020, Somerset's problem has been the batting. And it's been the problem yet again so far this season. Yes, we're only two games in. Yes, we can't panic or anything like that. But... It's worrying. It really is worrying. And I, for the life of me, can't work it out. Because on paper, they've recruited really well. Sean Dixon was very good for Durham in last year in Division 2. Tom Cola-Cadmore has done it time and time again for Yorkshire. Cameron Bancroft, he's done well in previous county stints. So I can't, for the life of me, understand why it isn't clicking and why it isn't gelling. Now, fair enough, they've played two incredibly strong seam attacks in Warwickshire and Nottinghamshire. But look at the next opposition they're facing. They've got Lanks in Taunton. This is Division 1. Every single team has got good bowlers. So the fact is, this has got to be something which has got to be addressed. How they address it, though, I don't know. And to be honest, if there are any Somerset fans tuning into this segment, 
and you're feeling the same way, please let us know. Let us know your thoughts. Would you change the batting? Would you maybe hire a different batting coach? I do wonder if they've got a sports psychologist as well, because I know that's something which you mentioned at Knotts. It's something that we've got at Warwickshire. It's something which a number of teams have now got nowadays because the mental side of the game is so massive, isn't it, in the game of cricket? But yet it is the million-dollar question. Why is the Somerset batting not clicking? And again, if it doesn't get resolved, it might be a very difficult season. But then again, at the same time, if it does if it does get back into gear and they can find some big performances, they should be okay because the bowling is fantastic. I do feel... Lewis Gregory, seven for career best figures. Craig Overton's an excellent bowler. David Siddle, been there, done that in county cricket for a number of years. So they've got the pieces. It's just about fitting the jigsaw together, isn't it? It is, yeah. I do feel that you, you're absolutely bob on there, to be honest. I think that... If the, I, I think it's obviously it's a small fix because, like you said, the talent is there. And once they get to the root of the problem, it, I think it, it will actually be a fairly easy fix because once it starts to go right, I think there's, like you said, the pieces are there for it to really go, go right. I think it almost maybe only takes two, three innings in a row where they put together a couple of 350s and maybe maybe one massive one, even if, even if that you know, if they get a game that ends in a draw and they can just rack up 550 and just keep batting and batting and batting, I think that might be might lead to something really good, actually. I think it just almost, yeah, if, if they get to the root of it, I think that things will click and when they do, the solutions will come quickly and it should stay in place. Like we saw, obviously, the problem started very quickly. I think they can be fixed very quickly as well. Absolutely, Matt. And fingers crossed for the Somerset fans tuning in to today's episode. That can be resolved because I do think Somerset right now are under-delivering for the for the strength of depth in that squad. I really do. I think they should be aiming a lot more than just lower end of the table. So let's hope that it gets resolved. And obviously for Nottinghamshire, great start to the season. Obviously a rough, rough, rough start in Hampshire, but on home soil, they are very, very good. And that bowling attack, I'll tell you what, they are going to cause a handful for many a county in 2023. But aside from one East Midlands County then, Mats, let's go to another one. Let's head to Wantage Road and let's talk about North Ants because the Tudor Rose this week were exceptional. They beat Middlesex convincingly by seven wickets on home soil to wrap up their first victory of the 2023 season. Now, Northamptonshire won the toss and they elected to have a bowl first in this game, a decision which appeared to have paid off quite magnificently in the early exchanges, as the ever-reliable Ben Sanderson, he took three for 19, and the increasingly impressive Chris Tremaine, he finished with figures of three for 34, had the Saxes floundering on an utterly dire score of 110 for nine within the space of just 41 overs. Now, to give him an immense amount of credit, Ryan Higgins did spare the Saxes' blushes somewhat in Northampton this week, battling away with an excellent 70 from 85 balls. But even this effort from the former Gloucestershire rounder was simply not enough to see the Saxes to a substantial total in the East Midlands this week. The visitors ultimately being dismissed for an atrocious score of 149 all out by the end of their first innings. And Matt, this is where I have to pick up today's conversation because I've been asked by a lot of Middlesex fans to talk about this actually. And that is the Saxes' top order. Now, in 2022, in the second division, Middlesex's top order was their strength. Sam Robson, Mark Stoneman were brilliant. I don't think anybody can deny that. But in terms of the start this season, 
between themselves last week, Middlesex's top order scored seven runs across two innings. And then again, you look at the scores in this first innings. Robson four, Stoneman three, Milan two, Eskenazi four, Ball Duck. What have you made of Middlesex's struggles? I suppose it is quite similar to Somerset in terms of the talents there, but why do you think Middlesex have had such a, a, a difficult start to the season, per se? You took the word right out of my mouth. I was about to make that comparison myself. Yeah, it's uh, when these batting rots, when this, this batting rot sets in, it sets in quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, and I wouldn't question the professionalism of the coaching staff, but I do wonder, have they slightly underestimated Division 1, do you think, maybe? Have they slightly considered that, obviously, there is a gap. I think the, the biggest gap between Division 1 and Division 2, that it's most where it's most obvious, is in the bowling attack. That's, you know, in Division 1, you're facing this relentless, highest quality all the time, every time. Whereas in Division 2, there might be maybe the third change, perhaps, is less of a threat and there might be teams that have only got one or two really high quality bowlers so i think that's it there and maybe because middlesex had a let's say relatively easier ride last season they might have perhaps thought yeah this is if this is what it's going to be like next season and it's not turned out that way and i think that's what you've got to i think they've almost got to remember that this is you know they, they're going to be facing this every single week and that's what they're going to have to work on and to avoid becoming like Somerset um, where it's, where this has gone on for 18 months because it, it's almost as if, you know, they, they don't... Somerset have the, the bowlers to fall back on and Middlesex don't. You know, Toby Rowling Jones won't be around forever. Tim Murta is already a player coach and will probably you'd have to be full-time coach. He'll probably call it a day. If not the end of this season, then sure, the end of next season. So, you know, he's, yeah, it, it, it's going to be really tough for them. Yes, they've got players coming through. They've got Ethan Bamba. He's obviously one that they, that's quite well thought of and justifiably so. But they've, Somerset have been able to preserve their position in the top division through that and through being bailed out of trouble by the bowlers. Middlesex haven't got that. And if they, if they go down the same path, then I think they're going to find themselves back in Division 2 very quickly, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's quite concerning actually, and I know that it's very early on in the season. But for the for the scores to be that low, it is natural for it to be alarming. And fingers crossed that they can resolve this and they can overturn it because, as I said, the talent's there. I I just don't understand what on earth's gone on. But you mentioned the bowling, actually, Matts. I must say, in Northampton this week, the Saxes bowlers were very good. So you mentioned Toby Rowland Jones, the new captain. He took four for fifty three in Northampton's first innings. Ethan Bamber again. He continues to impress me, Ethan Bamber, in terms of just line and length, disciplined swing bowling. He was very good, took figures of three for 42 this week, and then the aforementioned Ryan Higgins taking two for 46, as Northants themselves were dismissed for under 200 runs. In fact, aside from Rob Keogh's stoic 75 and out from 128 deliveries, there wasn't a single other player who really troubled the scorers with a 50-plus effort. So, again, Middlesex did give themselves a little bit of a chance, actually, heading into the rest of this game. But unfortunately, unfortunately for the Saxes, yeah, the second innings didn't go to plan either. And in fact, at one stage, they found themselves 107 for seven. They were in all sorts of bother. Yes, the likes of Toby Rowland-Jones, he scored 37. Luke Holman scored 30. 
did restore some pride, but at the end of the day, 167 runs when you've already got a pretty hefty 49-run deficit in Northampton simply wasn't going to be enough. And although at times Northampton, they did make lives a little bit more more difficult for themselves. They lost Fascon Salos for 13, Azad fell early on day four for 14 runs, and Chris Tremaine, the night watchman, fell for 13 as well. Ultimately, Sam Whiteman, the new signing, the, the left-handed Western Australian batter, scoring a fantastic 69 out from 79 alongside the new captain, Luke Proctor, chalked off the runs in pretty comfortable fashion. In fact, Northampton chased 120 within just 39.3 overs to secure a dominant victory within the first session of day four. So in terms of Northampton, Matts, before we get on to the chat about Essex and Lancashire and wrap up our Division 1 conversation, what did you make of this performance from Northampton? Because with the ball in hand, Ben Sanderson, obviously they've got him. The talisman, he is Mr. Northampton when it comes to the bowling departments. He's an exceptional talent. But I'll tell you someone who's really impressed me is Chris Tremaine. Now, he had that ridiculous court and bowled in the first innings where he dived to his left, plucked this ball out of the air like a, a renaissance-like painting. It was ridiculous to watch, to be honest. On the live stream, it was a superb grab. But in terms of this overall display from the home side, with the likes of Chris Tremaine and Sam Whiteman producing the goods, are you confident that Northampton can stay up in the first division this season? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're not dealing with a team that's, back in Division 1 for the first time in ages, they? They, they did it last season, so there's absolutely no reason to suggest that they can't do it again this year. Um, yeah, it was that sort of... It, it was the initial building, wasn't it? The, it? It was nipping around quite a fair bit. I mean, Toby Rowling Jones was finding some good swing this morning, and you know Hassan, Hassan Izzad fell to that, and he's usually quite watchful isn't he so to get it to get rid of him to uproot him early probably gave Middlesex quite a boost and it probably left people like Whiteman and I know Tremaine was a night watchman wasn't he but it was probably looking it probably sowed a couple of seeds of doubt and thinking well if they can uproot him then they can probably uproot any of it but that's what you've got to do you've got to stay in you've got to wait for the bad boy you, you wait for that attack to tire and then you profit and that's what Whiteman did wasn't it he, he waited he waited and then he struck the boundaries um, off Roland Jones, um, he took helm for a couple as well, didn't he? So it's that was what was quite impressive. It's that temperament, and that's what matters so much. It's timing your attack, it's time, it's knowing when to do it, and he did it to perfection. Can I also ask you a very quick question as well? Uh, where was Sam Whiteman born? <laughs> I believe also, Matt, also, he was born, was, I believe was he was born in Yorkshire. Born? Yeah, I believe yeah, he was also was, born in Yorkshire. Everybody owes the success to us, eh? Well, they do if they're a Northants fan, because True. those two, they were brilliant this week. Nah, and again, honestly, we could... you, signed, you signed him. We um, we made the full-hearted decision not to keep him. And fair play, Northamptonshire, you are profiting and you deserve it. They certainly do. And again, a really complete performance from a team which a lot of people, for some reason, always seem to write off. It's Northants team. They've got a lot of fight in them. I will a say lot. that. Rob Keogh as well. Yes, again, in that first innings, as everybody collapsed alongside him, he stood tall. He stood strong. The stalwart of Northampton. I called him Mr. Northamptonshire last week because he is just, he's everything which is great about the club. So, yeah, very, very convincing performance, actually, from the home side. As for Middlesex, again, I've got to be honest, I like Middlesex as a club. I think this team should be performing a lot better. And I think that they themselves would say how disappointed they'll be 
with this start to the season. Currently bottom of the table, as we'll discuss in due course, Matt. But again, they just were not at the races at all this week. And it's all well and good having a, a potent and lethal bowling attack, which they do. With the likes of Bamber, with the likes of Roland Jones, with the likes of Tom Helm, Brian Higgins, Luke Holman, to name but a few. But the batting has to come to the forefront. You can't rely on those guys to take 20 wickets every single game. The fact is, in this particular match, don't get me wrong, North Ants bowled very, very well. Jack White as well. I know we haven't mentioned him, but he's a very, very unsung hero of, the, of this Northamptonshire attack. And I thought he bowled very well at times too. But again, it's, it's shot selection. It's decision-making. And yes, this was a difficult surface, as the scoreboard shows. But it's about building those partnerships, spending time at the crease, and also putting the opposition bowlers on the back foot. And I think that so far this season, even though we are just two games into a very, very early county championship season, I think I think Middlesex have looked a little bit tame. They've looked a little bit tepid at the crease. And I think that they need to... I don't know, maybe change the approach. And definitely the top order do need to score some runs. But in terms of alarm bells ringing again, it's far too early on in the season, say oh, anything like relegation or stuff like that. But definitely things to work on from a oh, yeah. perspective. I would make, I would just double down on my, well, I, I would just underline my point that, yeah, it, it, things are going to have to carry on going this way before they need to get worried, obviously. Um, you know, it's it's April. It's it's early, it's early to mid April. The yeah, I think if they start scoring big runs in rounds sort of nine, ten, when it's in um, June, June and July, then yeah, things will be fine. Obviously, of course they will. Um, as well, what what I would just quickly love to say as well about Northamptonshire, something else about Sam Whiteman. I always love it when counties unearth these gems as well. When counties like Northamptonshire can't just go out and sign some big name, just you know, really well-known player because they haven't got the money to do it. So they have to look a bit deeper. They have to do a bit of scouting. They have to think who would fit, who's going to do well and who can we afford. And, you know, it's superb. They appear to have found a guy, certainly on that evidence, who looks pretty sharp. So, you know, hopefully that's not his last 50. It's, it's his first. Hopefully it's not his last. And, yeah, that is always a real, really good sight to see. Um, Middlesex, though, you mentioned Somerset having to play Lancashire next. It's uh, baptism of fire for Middlesex, isn't it? They've uh, Nottinghamshire attack next. It's uh, it's going to be tough. It really is. It is, but again, this is Division 1, isn't it, Matt? And that is why we love it. It's because of the quality. It's because of the standard. It's because of the calibre of each and every single one of these 10 sides. And again, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a dogfight. But obviously, wishing Middlesex all the very best of luck. I do like them as a club, and I do wish them the I best agree. of luck. But... Yeah, on this particular occasion, North Ants were just far too dominant and definitely worthy victors in the East Midlands this week. But, Matt, aside then from Wantage Road, let's head to our fifth and final game from Division 1 this week, which again was a clash of two title contenders, where Essex and Lancashire played out a pretty entertaining draw at the county ground in Chelmsford. So, first and foremost, Matt, I've got to ask about your opinions on the game as a whole. What did you make of this game? Because obviously very stop and start with the rain. But in terms of the cricket that we did see, it was very, very captivating, wasn't it? It was. And like you said, we, we learned a lot, didn't we, about it's like, you know, we've, we've said it endlessly so far, but it's early on. But we've seen a lot of these players now and this ability to what what can we learn from these two teams who were both, you know, the they've you could probably both say they've got points to prove, really. Lancashire have got a point to prove in terms of wanting to actually win the thing. 
Essex were so so good until about two or three years ago and have slightly dropped off since so they want to rise back to where they were so yeah it, it's it's a really interesting game and especially after what happened last year in Chelmsford when we saw about I think a grand total of probably barely 96 over your cricket because it was an absolute minefield wasn't it but yeah it, there's, there's a lot to go at um George Bell batting um quite well I'm sure we'll come on to him um Simon Harmer again keeps doing it doesn't he and of course we got to see uh, a bit of Jimmy Anderson which is always a pleasure and never a chore it certainly is and we'll discuss that battle between the the two England legends Sir Alistair Cook and soon to be Sir Jimmy Anderson go on in due course are we going to come on are we going to come on to Anderson getting Cook out because I I want to ask your opinion on that of course we will but before we jump the the gun and we we discuss that incredible battle between Jimmy and, and Sir Alistair Cook, Matt, you mentioned him there. But George Bell, George Bell is one of the standout players for me from this entire round in terms of players who you look at. These young, exciting prospects, his stocks have risen dramatically as a result of this game. So, in terms of his his very very early first class career, he's made a great start, and I think that aside obviously from the batting. Two fifties. He got his first two career first-class fifties in this game. Aside from that aspect of his game, which was very impressive with the sweep shots, the lovely straight drives as well, he's got quite an arsenal at his disposal. But he's keeping as well. I mentioned this in week one. He's a very solid wicketkeeper. Now, for such a young keeper, it's difficult to come into a team of Lanks's stature, prestige, and size, and just adapt like a duck to water. But he's done exactly that. So, I've got to say, George Bell. Well played. I'm really, really impressed with him. England under 19. He's another one of these exciting young prospects from the next generation of English cricketers. And I thought he played magnificently in Chelmsford this week. When you think that there were far more experienced players who were struggling to generate any kind of rhythm at the crease, he did a great job. He even hit Simon Harmer for a couple of fours, which is no mean feat whatsoever down in Chelmsford. So George Bell, take a bow. I thought he was absolutely magnificent. And I suppose the, the other Lancashire player that we do have to mention, Matt, before we get on to the battle between Cook and Jimmy was, of course, the captain, Keaton Jennings. Very selfless in that second innings, 96 and 40 fell to the bowling of the aforementioned Harmer on his 201st delivery faced. But he's good, isn't he, Keaton Jennings? He really is great to watch. He, he really is, yeah. He's, it, um, he had a superb season, didn't he, last year? And it's just... He's... He's is he going to be a bit of a un, unlucky victim of basketball? I don't know because he's not quite got the temperament that they're looking for. And it's so unfortunate because his talent, you know, on talent, he would be in that England team all day long. I know he's had a couple of chances and he's not quite made that step up as he's not quite really nailed down a place. Um, but you know, I've got to be honest when you look at somebody like Zach Crawley, who I think to be honest would benefit from a proper run away from England. I think just get out of his head completely and have him play county cricket for a couple of years. I think Keaton Jennings would, would still be all right because, you know, he plays T20 for Lancashire. He's not a super mead who just hasn't got it in him at all to be a bit free. Like when he, he, he can do it with a bit of good coaching and he would be able to do it. So I almost think it might help a little bit because, like I said, the talent is undeniably there. He's one of, one of if not the most naturally talented openers. I think we've got anywhere in the country, to be honest. 
easily. To be honest, Matt, I can't disagree with that at all. He had a fantastic campaign last year for the Red Rose. He's taken on the captaincy. Doesn't appear to be a burden either. He's had a pretty good start to the season as Keaton Jennings. And, so, that, is a, again, and that is a bonus. Yeah, certainly is. Shows leadership. And he's leading from the front. And yeah, did a very, very good job down in the southeast this week. And talking of another Lanx player who did a rather good job. Now we can talk about one of the battles of the entire round. Sir Alistair Cook versus Jimmy Anderson. And Jimmy, in fairness, got the better of Cook. Not just once, but twice. So, Matt, I know that you had a question, actually, about this. What were you going to say about this particular matchup and the, the battle that we saw between the two England legends in the South East this week? The first, the first inning, the LBW. Was it out? out? Oh, that's a tough one. It looked outside the line, didn't it? I thought it looked a bit high as well. Really? Well, Cook's not a short man, and it hit him on the knee roll, didn't it? I think it might have been going over the shop, you know. Oh, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. The umpire that says no to Jimmy Anderson, especially in county cricket, is a brave umpire. But I think he might have been... I don't know. I, I, I think it was a very close one. I would have wanted to definitely get... Uh, it's a pity we don't have Hawkeye in the championship. <laughs> well, it certainly is, yeah. Goodness me. I'll tell you what, though. It was great to watch, wasn't it? Oh, it really absolutely. Was. It, it, was, it was champagne cricket, wasn't it? Two legends of the English game have treated us to so many incredible performances in the test arena, putting on a display. It was great to watch. And to be honest, Jimmy definitely did get the better of Sir Alistair this week. He took oh, figures yeah. of four for 70 over the course of 22 overs in that first innings. And Matt, actually, just talking of some other Essex players before we get on to the chat about Division 2 and we wrap up today's podcast with our discussion about the second division, just another couple of Essex players who really impressed me this week. First and foremost, Matt Critchley in that first innings. Again, we talk about players stepping up to the plate in these big occasions. I thought he did that phenomenally well this week. You know, that 78 set the tone, it set the standard for Essex to come back into this game. And in terms of someone else who impresses us year in, year out, and we look at the wider conversation, we look at that England team, and we look at the strength in depth of the same bowling stocks. Little Chef, Sam Cook, and he was cooking this week, wasn't he? Five for in the first innings, causing all sorts of problems. What do you make of this Essex team? Because this is going on to the, the wider debate, I suppose, about title contenders and dark horses. But obviously the batting has been a problem. And yet again this week, it was problematic. I know the likes of Critchley, the likes of Rossington in the second innings as well, did produce a rather valiant rearguard for the Eagles on home soil. But in terms of their chances, they last won the county championship in 2019. Obviously, they won the Bob Willis Trophy in 2020. They've always been a side which are tremendously strong in Red Bull cricket now for the past seven, eight years. What do you make of Essex's chances heading into the rest of this year's championship? I rate them a lot more so than I did this time three weeks ago, definitely. And I think, I mean, you mentioned Matt Critchley. He's another one that had a bit of a, a bit of a rough year last year who has started very well and hopefully he can carry that forward. Uh, and then the other one, Jamie Porter. I mean, who's... He was a big driver in their success, wasn't it? It was him and uh, Sam Cook from opposite ends that when they really ran through to um, when they were at the absolute peak of their power in sort of 2018, 19 and 2020. And he's, he dropped off a little bit, didn't he, over the last couple of years. So it's really good to see him back. He uh, obviously did so well against Middlesex um, last week and then he's done it again this week. It's just, yeah, I think, I think it's those players that maybe it's this team that's just starting to gel a bit again. And that's obviously, I know I've mentioned that for a couple of other teams, but that might be what it is. It's just starting, if they if they are, if they do need to be on the way back, then 
they they are because they've got those they've got that talent and they're starting again to get the most out of those very very good players so i think that will be the key thing here definitely and quickly especially with um I, I was saying this you know earlier but he's got that ability of he was doing it off anderson he was doing it off will williams as well who's you know i don't he's not in jimmy anderson's league but then virtually nobody else is he was um he quickly was just controlling what they were delivering so well and he was playing so well off the off and you know to be able to make jimmy anderson bowl it wide enough that you can just gently put him away through the off uh, that's really really impressive and that's what he did and to be honest he was the you know it ended up being a draw but it's a pity that it rained didn't it really because we could have been treated to a really really exciting finish if we could have been but but then again what? it's british weather isn't it it's British it's weather. British it's yeah, April. It's... It was bound to happen, wasn't it? When you have a game of that quality and standard, it was always bound to be rain-affected. But I'll tell you what, both teams look very good. Lanks as well. I mean, I, I predicted them to to win the title. I still think they're going to be up there. I really do. That bowling attack is scary. Tom Bailey, Will Williams, Jimmy Anderson, absolutely fantastic. And in addition to those guys, you look at Keaton Jennings, you look at Josh Bohannon, you look at the likes of Crofty, Villas, you look at George Bell, who's coming up through the ranks as well. I just like the look of this Lancashire outfit. So very, very impressed indeed with the Red Rose this week. And it was a great game of cricket. Really was a great game of cricket. And in terms of just one final thing, actually, a little bit more lighthearted before we get on to the, the Division 2 chat. Just a shout out, actually, to the, the Luke Wells fan army, I believe they're called, who kept on sending in their emails with wacky and creative ideas of where they'd bumped into Luke Wells over the course of, of these four days. It was absolutely fantastic. It was hilarious. At times, at one time, they, they bumped into him at the Coral Island Arcade in Blackpool. Then it was the Eiffel Tower. Then it was the moon. I mean, just all over the place. It was <laughs> really quite funny. And I think the commentators enjoyed it as well. So, yeah, shout out to the Luke Wells fan army. Unfortunately, Luke didn't score too many runs this week. But, yeah, probably sooner rather than later that the great man will be back scoring runs for the Red Rose of Lancashire County Cricket Club. But aside then from the game-by-game -game analysis, let's take a look at the Division 1 table at the end of the second round. And if, like me, you're a fan of Warwickshire County Cricket Club, you're going to be absolutely delighted because the Bear Ragged staff are currently top of Division 1 on 35 points. In second are Surrey, the defending champions, on 32 points. In third are Essex County Cricket Club on 28 points. In fourth and fifth are Hampshire and Nottinghamshire, both on 23 points apiece. Then in sixth and seventh place, respectively, are Northamptonshire and Kent on 22 points and 20 points apiece. In eighth place are Lancashire on 17 points. In ninth are Somerset on 12 points. And at the bottom of Division 1 at the end of the second round are Middlesex County Cricket Club on six points. So, yeah, very, very interesting round of cricket. There's a reason we've spent so many so many minutes discussing it, to be honest. This really has turned into a bumper episode, but Division 1 really does have the makings of being very, very entertaining indeed. And Matt, aside from the first division, let's turn our attention to the second division. And unfortunately, we do have to start with Gloucestershire versus Yorkshire. We're not going to have a full segment, so apologies to fans of both those counties because there wasn't a single ball bowled. Unfortunately, the match abandoned without a single delivery leaving the hands of either Yorkshire or Gloucestershire's seam attacks respectively. So, yeah, very anticlimactic way for that game to finish. Both sides ending with eight points apiece 
as a result of it. But yeah, Matt, are you disappointed as a Yorkshire fan that you, yeah. you didn't get to your team in action this week? Yeah, very, of course I am. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed. It's, it's hard to lay too much of the blame at Gloucestershire's door because obviously, you know, no one can control the weather. But I would just want to say, occasionally, cricket doesn't help itself sometimes, does it? In the sense that I think that this was very predictable. Certainly, perhaps up to a week in advance, we would have known that that ground was very, very unlikely to be playable. And I think, if nothing else, you know, I'm not saying that you miraculously make Cheltenham available, because that's not possible, that's a temporary ground and the school use it anyway, but you could have moved it to Headingley, you could have negotiated with another county, Taunton was unused this week, Worcestershire was unused, Cardiff was unused this week, these local grounds are all only an hour away, I know it's difficult, I know, you know, there wouldn't have been a, a pit prepared, it would have been very difficult, it might not be possible, but I just think these discussions could have happened. We could have potentially looked at this. And from what I, you know, maybe maybe they did behind the scenes and they didn't get anywhere and that's why we haven't heard about them. And if they did, then absolutely fine. But I do think that there just needs to be a bit of flexibility in here. You could have, even if Gloucestershire didn't want to lose this home game against Yorkshire, possibly because, you know, I mean, outside influences, uh, not, not, notwithstanding, you'd have to, potentially consider that both of these are going to be in the in the title race. And so obviously Gloucestershire would want a chance to play Yorkshire on home soil. Well then play them on home soil later in the season, swap swap the round. I I think there were things that could have been done. I don't think it, it had to be like this. And yeah, just it just you have to just say it's disappointing for the players. It's disappointing for the if there were any fans that travelled down and I know obviously the the majority of people that will travel down won't have regular jobs because it's you have to commit a week. But if there was anybody that travelled down, there might have been people that took time off work. There might have been people that, you know, maybe you're self-employed and you've missed out on a bit of business. And it's just, it's really disappointing if you travelled down, especially considering everything that's going on at the moment, that didn't that it didn't happen. And yeah, I think it didn't have to be this way, unfortunately. Yeah, it is a massive shame. I've, I've got yeah. to be completely honest because this had the makings of an absolute classic, didn't it? Let's be honest. It really did. Two very, very good sides, two very strong teams in the second division. Yorkshire in particular, after last week, that defeat at Headingley probably would have been fancying their chances well, in this game to come back strong and, and put one over on their on their well potential promotion rivals. Obviously, as you mentioned, those external factors could come into effect for the White Rose. But yeah, just a massive shame, to be honest, that we couldn't see any cricket in Bristol this week. But then again, it's one of those. The ground staff tried. They really oh, did. Yes. I, and full support, they tried. It, like I said, I don't blame Gloucestershire for this. Not one bit. I should point that out. Yeah, I don't. No, no, no. Exactly. It's one of those. But <laughs> very, very disappointing. I think for us as fans, because we missed out on what promised to be a very good game. And obviously for the fans, as you mentioned, who are making the journey. But unfortunately, the weather's out of your control sometimes. So both teams will just have to take those eight points away. They could prove to be eight valuable points, actually, for either of those two counties. So I suppose you do have to look at the positives at the same time. But, Matt, let's turn our attention then away from Bristol, where unfortunately no cricket was played, to a venue where a lot of cricket was played this week. Let's head up to the northeast. Let's go to the riverside, where we were treated to an absolute nail-biter between Durham and Worcestershire, which ultimately resulted in the home side winning this game by 121 runs 
in the dying stages of day four. This was a fantastic game of cricket. And Matt, right off the bat, one player to talk about, Durham's batting, David Beddingham. What did you make of that ton? It was quite glorious, wasn't it? It was, yeah. He does it in April and he does it every year in April, doesn't it? It seems like he's just that player who somehow defies logic and can bat at a time of year when, in theory, you're supposed to struggle. Yeah, no, it was, it was brilliant. And it was fast as well, wasn't it? You know, hit a six, plenty of boundaries. It takes the pressure off everybody else. It's just the sort of innings that you just, you're just delighted that your best batsman in the team can play, really, aren't you? It's just It got them to, well, just short of maximum batting points. Um, posted a brilliant overall total. Plenty of really good partnerships. He's a senior head in the team now. He's been there a few years at Durham. He brings a lot to it. And yeah, it's, he's, it's what we've come to expect from him. But somehow it seems even better than that as well. It does. He just continues to surpass our expectations, doesn't he, David Beddingham? And I'll tell you what, South Africa, a team which in recent years have struggled when it comes to their batting, you've got David Beddingham. He has announced that he's available for selection for the Proteus. So, again, it could just be a, a matter of sooner rather than later that we see Bedders in a Proteus shirt. We'll have to wait and see, obviously, but innings like that, 118 from 148, 12 fours, 1-6, a 79.7 strike rate certainly does help the cause for his international selection. But even then, aside from that 118, you had Alex Lee scoring 70 for 129, another former Yorkshireman. I thought he batted very nicely at the Riverside this week. And then the Northeastern duo of Ben Rain and Paul Coughlin put on 101 runs for the eight wicket. I thought those two batted magnificently as well. So for Durham, really, really positive signs, actually, in that first innings, ultimately finishing on 425 for nine declared. And this put Worcestershire into bats in a relatively difficult position. Don't get me wrong, the pitch at times was very flat, but it's all about a case of when to declare. And Matt, I want to know your opinions on this, because we don't often see this in cricket, but this potentially might be a, a byproduct of the new baseball theory and obviously the new point system, where points for a draw are pretty much minimal. Only five for a draw, whereas you get obviously the full 16 for a win. What did you make of Worcestershire's decision to declare their innings when they were 59 runs behind Durham heading into that second one? I, I respect it. And like you said, it's, I would almost rather teams chase victory over trying to settle and, and at, the, at the possible risk. Risk and reward, isn't it? And I would rather teams did it. And, you know, I really hope that more teams do it. I really hope that Worcestershire aren't put off from doing it again by what happened. The one person I do always feel a little bit sorry for is Jack Haynes, who you think, well, he was still there. You know, they could have at least waited until he maybe got out or, you know, you could have at least 150 or something like that. I mean, the fact, obviously, is that they'd they got to 110. They thought, like, this is as many bonus points as we're going to get. And that's, you know, let's, let's have another pop at them. Obviously, it didn't, it didn't quite work. But, yeah, I think he's the one person you'd have to feel a bit sorry for. Um, but no, I broadly I support it. I really do. And like I said, I hope that Worcestershire aren't put off from doing it again by the fact that it ultimately didn't come off. Because I think, to be honest, when you adopt this kind of approach, I think it does come off more often than not. To be honest. Well, yeah, it's, it all comes back to that old saying, doesn't it? Fortune favours the brave. And to be yeah. honest, Worcestershire were very, very bold in that declaration for respect to Brett Dolivera for that, and obviously for respect to Jack Haynes 
you mentioned his 134 mat. He is a phenomenal cricketer. He really is. In terms of Worcestershire fans, if you've got a player to watch out for heading into the next five, ten years, it's Jack Haynes. 22 years old. And I'll tell you what, in first-class cricket, he has just been absolutely phenomenal. He scored 2,011 runs already by the age of 22. It's remarkable. So Jack Haynes take about phenomenal yet again this week. But as a result of that very interesting declaration, Durham obviously already had a platform. And let's face it, they've built on it quite brilliantly. In particular, the captain, Scott Borthwick, his 21st career first-class century. Well done, first and foremost, to Scott Borthwick. Thought he batted very well, actually. I thought he batted very, very well this week. But in terms of, of another innings as well, aside from the 108 from Scott Borthwick, David Beddingham again. 86 this time in the second innings from 87 balls, which included three fours and four sixes. So Durham in this in this case were in a very, very interesting position. And again, they decided to declare when they had racked up 254 runs. So as a result of this, Worcestershire went into their second and final innings with a tantalising target of 314 runs to chase down. Now, Matt, what did you make of the Worcestershire run chase? Because we'll talk about how it finished and the dramatic way in which it came to a climax. But in terms of the, the way in which Durham bowled and the way in which Worcestershire batted, what did you make of the run chase up at the Riverside this week? It, it didn't really back up that sort of approach, did it? It seemed like they'd almost been caught in two minds. I wonder if it was the... They, they were obviously hoping to really get stuck into Durham and then in the second innings, and obviously Durham almost got stuck into them, didn't they really? Betting I, I wonder if they were a little bit shell-shocked. And, you know, spending time in the field can, or certainly long, perhaps longer than you were expecting. I know ultimately they only spent about 40 overs out there, but it, it, it would have felt longer because of the amount of baffing that, um, that Durham were doing, just sending it to all parts, especially Beddingham. It would have perhaps, yeah, put them back on the back foot and you think, uh, and, and suddenly they're in two minds, they're thinking, oh, they're doubting their own convictions, maybe. They're thinking, oh, why did we declare? Why, why did we do that? And then, obviously, once the doubt sets in, that's when we know that things go wrong, batting wide. It was a bit surprising, I've got to be honest, to see a spinner take a five foot at the Riverside. That's not a ground that you would expect that to happen probably anywhere at all in the world. I think it's probably the least spin-friendly venue you'd have to think anywhere. But, you know, Durham have got themselves a, a cracking spinner. Um, he wasn't even supposed to be there at all. Uh, I'm sure we'll come on to that. But, yeah, I think that's probably what you have to put Worcestershire's sort of struggles down to. They, they might have got in their own heads a little bit and, and doubted the tactics. Um, but, again, I, just, I really hope that it, it will come off for them and doing this should be the way that things go and a Whitmore team will follow it. Well, yeah, if they do, it'll be very, very interesting, won't it? And it's funny you mentioned actually about being caught in two minds in the run chase. In that first innings, I think the, the way in which Ed Pollock just got them off to a barnstorming start, I think that definitely helped them kind of, of create that innings in the first on the first attempt at the Riverside. They didn't have that similar start, did they? In the second, they got to a very, very slow start. They were three for two, actually. And then aside from Haynes and Dolivera, Things just didn't click, did it, to be honest, for the pairs up in the northeast this week. I think at the same time, though, you have to give tremendous credit to the likes of Matt Potts. He took three for 67. Paul Coughlin took two for 40. And then the man of the moment is, of course, Matt Kuhneman, who, as you mentioned, Matt, wasn't even supposed to be here. He was the replacement for Todd Murphy. The Aussie spinner got injured, so they decided to bring in the left-arm Aussie. 
as his replacement. And he bowled exceptionally well. And something which Matt Kuhneman possesses, and he showed this in both weeks, actually, is a pretty effective arm ball. Now, obviously, as a spinner, you want turn. It's one of your major major weapons. It's one of your major assets as a spin bowler. But a nice, strong arm ball on surfaces which are keeping low is also very, very pivotal. And that showed, actually, with that final wicket of Dylan Pennington. Now, in terms of the scene, it was brilliant how this came about. So, for a few hours, Worcestershire really had been frustrating, those Durham bowlers. Then Matt Potts gets two wickets in two balls, and all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, Worcestershire are probably going to collapse here. And then you've got that final wicket pairing of Adam Finch and Dylan Pennington. They've been out for 13 overs. The light's dying at the riverside. You're thinking, right, we're one or two overs away here from potentially batting out the day. And Matt Kuhneman, in a setting which was almost reminiscent of a masterpiece, you've got eight men around the bats, you've got the floodlights on in the background, you've got the fading lights, and you've got this brilliant delivery from Matt Kuhneman, just the arm ball slides on under the bats of Dylan Pennington. Stumps shattered, to be honest. They went flailing all over the place. And the ecstasy the exuberation, the jubilance on the faces of those Durham players was incredibly memorable. And this was a superb victory for Durham. Obviously, they've struggled a lot in first-class cricket in recent years. They had a very underwhelming season last year. But this is a big victory for the home side, isn't it, Matt? It is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought that uh, um, they they might potentially be up there in the playoff race. I mean, obviously, we've mentioned... Um, external factors in Yorkshire as to whether they will or won't be, but if two teams go up, I think you'd be hard pressed to think that. I think Durham might be uh, amongst it. You, the, the one thing I would love to say is that obviously Kuhneman took the five four in the second innings, but Matt Potts again three three wickets and two that sort of unlocked it right at the end, just before Kuhneman properly finished it off. I'm still not entirely sure what Matt Potts did wrong to get dropped by England. I'll be honest, I don't quite understand why he's not still and main in the team. And I almost think, now that we've got Ireland, if he carries on just taking just picking these wickets up regularly, I think Ireland is the perfect opportunity to get him back into the team because it's an opponent that, I mean, let's face it, Ireland have players in their own right. It, it is a tough match. You have to take it seriously. I'm not saying any of that. But at the same time, it's filling the role of a warm-up for the Ashes. It's, that is the truth. So I think, yeah, get him in the team for Ireland. Do, do the same with a few other players that are on the fringes have a look and yeah just just have a go because yeah Matt Potts I'm not sure what he did wrong and he deserves an, another crack I would it almost feels wrong saying he deserves another crack he he deserves this crack he hasn't lost his first chance it's not like he deserves it's not like we're saying oh he deserves the second and he still deserves the first one so yeah we'll see but I do think that could be a good opportunity for him it certainly could be and again that'll be interesting won't it that island match you it say a kind of warm-up for the Ashes. I still, I still think back to 2019, 86 all out that is true. on the first that day at Lords. So, again, very, very interesting decisions to be made for the England selectors and, of course, Brendan McCullum. But we'll get onto that discussion at a later date. But in terms of these two sides, again, fair play to both. It does take two to tango, a bit like with Warwickshire and Kent. This was a fantastic game of cricket. And I have tremendous respect for Brett Oliveira and Worcestershire for making a game of this. Obviously for Durham as well. I'm I'm really, really happy for them. I'm delighted for their fans. They've had it very rough in the past couple of years. And to see them have a victory like that, to see all the happy faces at the Riverside, a fantastic venue, it really was great to watch. So congratulations to Durham for that victory. 
Commiserations to Worcestershire, but yet another fantastic advert in what has been a thrilling round of county championship crickets in England this week. And Matt's aside then from that incredible encounter up in the northeast, let's go to our seventh and final game of the week that we actually managed to see. I suppose we didn't get to see as much of it as we'd have liked to as a result of the weather. But let's head to the East Midlands for the final time and let's discuss Leicestershire and Derbyshire because these two sides played out a draw at Grace Road in what was essentially just two innings of, of trying to get the bonus points, wasn't it? Unfortunately, the rain did play spoil sports. I'm gutted about that, to be honest, as well, because in terms of a an under-the-radar fixture, this was it. Leicestershire, who would have been buoyant after that victory up at Headingley, they would have had a lot of confidence. They came into this, as you'll be able to see with the batting scores. They looked like a team full of confidence. They looked up for this encounter. And then obviously you got Derbyshire, captain by Leicester Deploy, coached by Mickey Arthur. We mentioned the Mickey Arthur effect all the time. It had the makings of a great game, but unfortunately the rain was the victor in Leicester this week, and ultimately it did end up in a draw. With that being said though, Matt, who stood out to you this week? Because if I'm speaking from a personal perspective, first and foremost, Lewis Hill, the new Leicester-born captain representing his home county, I thought he was magnificent this week. 162 out from 269 balls, 18 fours, one six thrown in there for good measure. And then obviously the ever-reliable Colin Ackerman, 114 from 176. They just laid the foundation, didn't they? And ultimately, Leicestershire, even though this was a draw, vitally secured that last batting bonus point. How could, could How big could that be heading into the rest of the season if Leicestershire do continue this good run of form? Yeah, absolutely. It could be really crucial. If that's, that's exactly what you need, isn't it? Um, Sol Budinger as well. We talk about uh, Ed Pollock being that sort of aggressive opener that can get you tied off to a bit of a flyer. Um, I wasn't that convinced if he could be a red ball opener, Sol Budinger. Um, I was, hence why I was, I was really surprised that the, the big thing was that Leicestershire would play Hassan Azad with Sol Budinger. That was my kind of big, I don't think that's going to work, but I have been fully made to eat humble pie. That has so far worked. He got himself a nice little 72 um, in decent speed. And yeah, it was those three, wasn't it, that enabled Leicestershire to go on and get their bonus points. And they did it quite narrowly as well, didn't they? Obviously, that's going to be the interesting thing now. Teams are used to just about getting 400 in 110. Now there's the added bonus. They've got to really go for it. You know, you're almost looking at scoring at five and over. So you're going to really have to be quite inventive to get maximum bonus points. And there's going to be, I think, a lot more drama with whether teams are going to get them or not. And obviously, Leicestershire was just, what was it, about an over, two, two and a half over, something like that, an over and a half um, remaining. They just about managed to squeak over the line. And then, of course, immediately declared as soon as they've got it. That was all they were going for. So, yeah, that was the uh, the standout thing. Lewis Hill leading from the front, definitely, and ably supported by Budinger and Ackerman. He certainly was. And again, for Leicestershire, Big, big performance, wasn't it? For a team which struggled with the bat in hand an awful lot last season. Mm. Yeah, they, they certainly came to the forefront on home soil this week. They did put on a bit of an exhibition for the fans that were in attendance at Grace Road. And yeah, as a result of that, both teams actually picking up maximum bonus points in that first innings. Leicestershire getting all five batting. Derbyshire getting all three in large part as a result of a forfer from former Nottinghamshire man Zach Chapel. So again, for both sides, job done actually. In that first innings, both teams set out to achieve exactly what they wanted to. And then in terms of Derbyshire's innings, again, there was never going to be a result. Simply not enough time for, for the game to really meander 
to that point. But in terms of just some other standout performances, Brooke Guest. Brooke Guest is a really good prospect with the gloves, with the bats. 92 from 99, showed some innovation. He showed a touch of class, panache and flair. Great, great player to watch. Derbyshire have got a real star on their hands in the form of Brooke Guest. And in terms of someone else, we talk about county stalwarts. We talk about players who we could wax lyrical about for hours. Wayne Madsen, yet again, 75 from 87, 12 fours, some lovely drives in there, some lovely flicks off the pad. Vintage Wayne Madsen, great innings to watch. And ultimately, Derbyshire finishing on 254 for seven by the end of their 46 overs in that first and final innings game, ultimately pandering out to a draw. But yeah, the cricket that we did see, Matt, was actually quite good. And again, it's a shame that we didn't get to see a full match here because, again, from a Leicestershire perspective, Chris Wright taking four for 38. Rian Ahmed, the leg spin wizard, former England under-19, two for 38. Again, things are looking good for Leicestershire County Cricket Club. And I suppose the final question for today's podcast, Matt, before we wrap up proceedings with the tables and a look at the cricket draft, are Leicestershire dark horses? Because for a lot of people, myself included, I didn't fancy them. I've got to be honest, I give them one or two more years to really complete and gel this side. I think that's when they'll be at the strongest. But given the start that they've had, a massive win at Headingley, a historic one, first win at Headingley in the Championship for 113 years. Then you've got a draw against Derbyshire. They've got maximum batting bonus points in this game. Could they do it? Could Leicestershire go back up to Division 1? What are your thoughts? Why not? Like you said, I would have been exactly the same as you. Just give them 18 months, two years more. They've got a young team. They're bringing it together. And it'll take them a little while yet. But yeah, sure. Why not? Ultimately, you know, proof is in. Well, proof is in the pudding, isn't it? You show us what you've got out there. And they've shown us what they've got. And it's quite a bit more than anyone expected them to have, definitely. So yeah, I would. there's, There's nothing. I think, obviously, they've still got more. They've They've got a put it together they've got to keep being consistent and prove they can do it over a number of rounds you know maybe review where we're at when the blast comes along and when the first block of matches is done but they've shown us nothing so far to suggest that they're not capable of doing it so sure let's give them every opportunity to show that they are well i think that's a fair assessment to be honest matt and i think the recruitment as well has been exceptional hasn't it pete hanscom and then you've got jinky rahane coming in a man with over 10,000 career first-class runs to his name. Again, watch out for the running foxes of Leicestershire. They have got some momentum. They've got some confidence. Anything can happen. Let's wait and have a look. And as for Derbyshire as well, I think Derbyshire always dark horses when Mickey Arthur's at the helm, to be honest. I think that this week, even though I suppose they, they did play second fiddle to Leicestershire as a result of the rain, they've still got some very talented cricketers. We mentioned the likes of, of Brooke Guest, Wayne Madsen, Sam Connors in there. You mentioned the likes of, of a Hyder Ali and Billy Godman. They've got they've got the talent. They really have. It's going to be very, very interesting. And again, we will have to wait and see. Only time will tell. But I tell you what, both those teams, definitely dark horses to watch out for, I think, in this year's Division 2 of the County Championship. And talking then of Division 2, let's have a look at the table at the end of the second round. And at the top of the table are the Foxes of Leicestershire, currently sitting on 34 points. In second are Durham on 27 points. In third are Worcestershire, also on 27 points. In fourth, but with a game in hand, are Sussex County Cricket Club on 21 points. In fifth and sixth place, respectively, are Derbyshire and Gloucestershire on 14 points and 13 points. 
In seventh place with a game in hand are Glamorgan on 12 points and bottom of the Division 2 table after two rounds at Yorkshire County Cricket Club also on 12 points. So that table's looking interesting. The division looks very interesting. We've been subject to a pair of pretty good games. Obviously, the Durham-Worcestershire game was the standout. That was fantastic to watch. But then again, Leicestershire's batting was very, very captivating and exciting as well. So a bit like Division 1, Division 2 really is going to be very, very exciting. And to be honest, I cannot wait to cover this year's county championship. Anything can happen. Anything can happen with the bonus points, with the batting points. Obviously, with this new baseball era, anything is possible in the county championship. And yeah, we'll just have to sit along and go with the flow, won't we? And see what happens. But either way, it's going to be very, very entertaining nonetheless. And just one final league that we do have to touch upon, actually, before concluding today's episode. I did promise that we'd touch upon this at the end of the first review show. But the Cricket Draft League is back. And at the end of the second round, at the top of the County Cricket Podcast's Cricket Draft Fantasy League, are Bob's Boundary Bashers on 3,981 points. In second are Ash's Best on 3,943 points. <laughs> and in third, arguably one of the most creative names in this year's draft, are financially benefiting from the County Championship by Xavier Vote Hill on 3,920 points. So for anybody who wants to get involved with our Cricket Draft League, you can find the link to that in the podcast description below. It's free to join. It's a lot of fun, actually, as well. I went up 150 places this week, currently sitting in 31st. So anything is possible. And again, if you want to get involved, please feel free to do so. But that is essentially it from myself and Matt for today's episode of the Counts Cricket Podcast. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.